0: I'd like to talk with you today about the wants that you have right now in your life. What needs or appetites or hungers do you have? Or you could put it this way, what have you been chasing? If you look back at this last week or month or year, what is it that you're pursuing in life? Last night, I took my two-year-old daughter, Zoe, to the Cal Ranch store. You guys familiar with the Cal Ranch store? Okay, it's in town here, and it's kind of like a ranching store. As I was walking around there with Zoe, I was thinking, you know, this store would probably not work in New York City, but it fits perfect in Prescott. And Zoe and I had been inside all day on Saturday, and uh, it got to the evening time, and I just thought, you know, um, I think I'm going to take Zoe out. So Jack, our four-year-old, stayed home with his mom, my wife, and Zoe and I went shopping, well, looking, at Cal Ranch. And Zoe had so much fun because they have the baby chicks there right now, and she just loves animals. So we looked at all the chicks, and we kind of just, you know, spent some time together walking around. And then I thought, okay, on the way out, we'll go out the the toy aisle, because the toy aisle there is all like tractors and trucks, and Zoe's not that into that kind of stuff. Well, we're going down the toy aisle, and she sees this matchbox car, which is what Jack loves. Jack's addiction, okay? And she sees this matchbox car, and she lifts it up to me, and she goes, Gack? gack, Like, can we get this for Jack? And I'm thinking, oh, that's so altruistic of her, you know? She's, she wants to get something for her brother. I should reward this behavior. So uh, so we, um, yeah, look at it, it's 99 cents. Okay, we'll get the Matchbox car. And then I think, well, you know, because we're not really getting anything else, I should get something for Zoe since she's getting something for her brother. Well, Zoe has a little bit of a sweet tooth. So we find this little rack of Jelly Belly jelly beans. And I set Zoe down out of the cart, and she just starts grabbing Pack after pack of them, throwing them in our shopping cart. No, 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 Zoe. We, you know we got to pick one. So she picks one, but then she picks another one and tells me that's for mommy. You know, one for her, one for mommy. Sweet girl. You know. So okay. So we check out and we get in the car and I tell her three or four times, okay, Zoe, um, you can hold the bag, but I'm not going to open the bag until we get home. Because I don't like jelly beans rolling around on the floorboards of my vehicles, you know. So we'll just, you can hold the bag, you can look at the bag, but we're not going to open it until we get home. Got it? Okay, got it. So so we're driving, and we're about halfway home, and it's just been unusually quiet. It's kind (laughs) of silent. I I know what you're thinking. It's not that bad. She hadn't torn it open, okay. But I'm i thinking, boy, she's really quiet. So I I say, Zoe, are you okay back there? In this subtle whisper, no. <laughs> well, what's wrong? Candy. Dee she calls them. You know, you, you won't open my jelly beans. So of course something is wrong. Zoe, like most two-year-olds, has strong appetite. She knows what she wants and she knows when she wants it. But she doesn't always know what she needs. There's times when she needs nutritious food and what she wants is jelly beans. There's times when she needs sleep and what she wants is to play. There's times when she needs a medicine that's good for her, but because of the taste of it, she wants nothing to do with it. There's times when she wants to run out in the road and have a good time, And what she needs is to be restrained so that she doesn't get run over. Zoe's in a place where she loves looking to me as a jelly bean provider. But she's not yet to a place where she trusts that when I don't give her what she wants, I know her needs better than she knows her needs. And many of us only know Jesus in that kind of way. You see, it's one thing to believe in Jesus as provider for my appetites and my dreams. And you know what? That's a a start, okay? Most Christians around us, many of them, only know Jesus that way, the way that Zoe looks to me right now. And in our text today, we're going to see Jesus miraculously multiply food to feed more than 5,000 hungry people. And when they all track him down the next day, here's what he says to them. You are looking for me, not because you're looking for God, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, you want more jelly beans. You want more free stuff, more free food. And Jesus tells them, don't work, don't spend yourself in your life working for food that spoils, but instead for food that endures to eternal life. In other words, here's what God's teaching us. It's one thing to believe in Jesus as provider for my appetites and dreams. It's another to be convinced that Jesus knows better than me what I actually need, Not only does he know what I need better than I know it, but he also knows how to meet my need better than I know. That word convinced is a key word in this statement. When you're convinced about something, you have predetermined. And it pretty much doesn't matter what new evidence comes about or what changes in circumstances, you're predetermined, you're convinced. If you're married to a stubborn person, Or if you have a stubborn child, or if you know anyone stubborn, you know what it looks like when someone is convinced. You could come at them with whatever evidence you want, whatever reasoning you want, there's no moving them. They are convinced. Part of us understanding Jesus as the bread of life that he's going to describe today is being convinced, predetermined, Lord, I might feel like I need this. But if you say, I need this, I trust you more than I trust myself. Today, we're continuing this series on Jesus' I am statements. Two weeks ago, we looked at uh, a few weeks before the crucifixion and the resurrection, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. What a big claim, right? Right. There's some great doctors out there who can do some great things, but there's no doctor in the world who can take a dead body that's been in a tomb for four days and raise it to life. So that's what Jesus does in the story two weeks ago. He doesn't just say, I am the resurrection and the life. He then proves it with a supernatural miracle in the physical world. Then, of course, a few weeks later, he would prove it when he himself was killed for our sins and he would raise from the dead. Well, today he says, I am the bread of life. And once again, with Jesus, it's not empty words. He's going to prove this claim by miraculously feeding about 5,000 people. The, the problem with the people, which is often our problem, is this. They believe in Jesus at this lower level. Okay, wow, Jesus can meet my needs. That's a good foundation, okay? But then Jesus, when they come to him for more bread, he, he tries to tell them, he does tell them over and over, but they don't get it. No, it's, you don't just need me to give you a lifetime supply of bread. You need me for your soul. You don't just need unlimited bread supply in a world where your body will eventually die. You need eternal life with me. But they were so caught up in their jelly beans They were so caught up in their wants that they couldn't understand what Jesus was saying. And very often that's the case with us. So right now I want to invite you as we look into John chapter 6 to, in your heart of hearts, call out to God and say, God, whatever the jelly beans are in my life, will you show me? Jesus, if I don't really know you as my bread of life, will you help me know you that way today? Jesus in this text is going to say, learn to feed on me. Of course, the the people misunderstand him. They think he's like talking cannibalistic. Jesus is saying, learn every day to find your sustenance, your strength, your provision. Learn to find it in me every day. It's a process, but learn to feed on me. And that's what we can be praying as we go through this text. Jesus, I want to feed on you as the bread of life. I want to look to you as my provider and my sustainer. And as we go through the text, we're going to see this kind of parallel conversation that over and over Jesus says, I'm the bread of the world. And the people are like, what? You look like skin and bones to us. You don't look like bread. They're functioning at this lower level of their felt needs. And Jesus is talking on this higher level of their much greater need. See, it's one thing to believe in a Jesus who can make my dreams come true and feed my wants. I call this the Disneyland version of Jesus, where all your dreams come true. I was listening to When You Wish Upon a Star the other day. One of the kids was watching a movie, and it came out. I thought, oh, that's kind of like the American Christian mantra, you know? Wish upon a star, trust in Jesus, and all your dreams will come true. It's one thing to believe in that kind of Jesus. It's another to see Jesus as the supreme being of the universe, a god who 's so much smarter than me and you that he knows what we need more than we know what we need, and a supreme creator being who 's good and loves us and just like i don 't want zoe 's teeth to rot out because she only eats jelly beans and i don 't want her to to you know be sleep deprived i I know what she actually needs, even though she doesn 't in the same way this creator who's all-powerful, he loves you, and he wants to give you what you actually need. So let's look for that theme in our text today in John chapter 6. We're going to read this story, and then I'm going to give you a few principles that you can take with you today. Let's start in John chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, after what? Well, Jesus had been doing some other miracles in John chapter 5. Everyone pretty much knows about Jesus in the area now. He's well known not only as a teacher, but also as a miracle-working prophet. Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That's a big old lake up north of Jerusalem. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. So these people have seen Jesus do miracles. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. Jesus does this a number of times. It was a a way that he would teach outdoors. They would kind of use the the natural topography of the land to make a little amphitheater, and everyone would sit down, and Jesus would teach. The Jewish Passover festival was near. That's interesting, verse 4, because... You might recall from two weeks ago when we studied Jesus' claim that I am the resurrection and the life, that that happened in the weeks or months leading up to the crucifixion and the resurrection, which was at Passover time, right around this time of year. Well, this is exactly a year before. So the Passover, when Jesus is crucified, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The Passover before, he says, I am the bread of life. And um I apologize. I, there's like 10 sermons in this text, okay? And I'm going to try and cruise through this. But if you have a pen and you want some freebies, you can write any of this down, okay? Because here's a cool tie-in that we can't explore too much. But, you know, Jesus in our story today is going to tell all these people, I am the bread of life. And he's going to say, feed on me, He's actually going to say, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the people are like, what is this guy talking about? And of course, Jesus at this point has made it so clear. He's talking about trusting in him for eternal life. Just the way that you would feed on food, you put that food in your mouth. Why? Well, you expect it to quench your appetite. You expect it to make you feel better. You expect it to give you strength. Jesus says, look to me that way. When you need strength, when when you have a hunger, For every hunger in your life, look to me. That's what Jesus is saying. Well, one year later on the week of Passover, on the night before he was killed, Jesus is going to be in a room with his disciples. And they're going to be around a table. And after he gets down on his hands and knees and washes the mud and the dirt off of their 120 toenails, he washes their feet and they have a dinner And he says, take this bread, this is my body broken for you. And we know he's saying that because the next day, his body's going to be on the cross. And he's going to physically, literally die for the sins of the world. While physically his body was dying spiritually, he was taking upon him all of my mistakes, all of your mistakes. So how cool to see that one year earlier, Jesus foreshadows it. Says, I'm the bread of life. Let's continue here in our text in verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test Philip, for Jesus already had in mind what he was going to do. Now, if you've got a study Bible, this is why we want to make sure you've got a good study Bible. You can know these kind of things. Jesus doesn't ask Philip by coincidence, Of all the 12, Andrew and John, James and Peter, he picks Philip because this is the area where Philip grew up. Philip would know where the closest place is that you can buy bread. That's why Jesus asks Philip. He's the most resourceful of the 12 for this situation. Verse 7, Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of us to just have one bite. So here's Philip of the 12, the most resourceful in the situation. And Philip's response is essentially, it's impossible. Just to get one bite for all of them would be impossible. And here's a point for you just as we're going through this. When your most resourceful answer is that you don't have enough, it's time to admit your inadequacy. When the most resourceful thing you can see is it's impossible, it's time to accept your inadequacy. It's time to acknowledge that you don't have enough in yourself. And there's another little principle in here, and that is that your financial resources are not your most important resources in life. Philip automatically thinks, man, Lord, who, who has half a year's salary? I mean, all of us normal people. It's like by the time we're done paying taxes and everyone gets their cut, like there's just enough left to keep moving on, right? Who, Lord, who's going to come up with half a year's salary just so everyone can get one bite? We're going to see Jesus doesn't need half a year's salary. <laughs> we tend to think our financial resources are our most important resources, and our spiritual resources are actually our more important. Important resources. Verse 8, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, speaks up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves. These might have been rolls to us and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Apparently, Andrew's scrapping around for food. I kind of like, like that, you know? I like that when Jesus starts saying, how are we going to feed these guys, Andrew starts moving. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There's plenty of grass in that place, so they sat down. About 5,000 men or family units were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated. Did he distribute so that they'd each get one bite as half a year's wages would, would pay? No, he distributes that everyone eats as much as they wanted. This is like a Thanksgiving dinner, okay? Everyone in this agrarian culture where you you don't buy a loaf of bread at the store and it has preservatives in it so it can sit on your counter for a week or two, okay? This is an agrarian culture where your bread was made that day and you eat what you get because you don't know how many hours it's going to be until you eat again. So these people, here comes the bread, they all take as much as they want, they're totally stuffed, and then it's like, okay, here comes the second course. He did the same with the fish, You got to imagine some of them were like, oh man, if I had known the fish was coming, I would have saved a little bit of room. So we go from one bite each being impossible to Thanksgiving stuffed for everybody. Verse 12, when they had all had enough to eat, everyone is stuffed and happy, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So, I love the way John tells this miracle because it's almost understated. It's almost understated. In fact, the way Jesus does it is understated. Because I know you guys are all thankful that I'm not Jesus. And I am too, okay? But let me tell you, if I was Jesus, here's how I would have done this miracle, okay? I said, okay, everyone. You see, here we only have five loaves, okay? And we've got these two fish. Now let's all bow our heads in prayer. Everybody pray together. And then they open their eyes and there's mountains of bread surrounding, right? That's how I would have done it. Because to feed that many people would have been mountains of bread. But Jesus, it's very, it's kind of uh, subtle with him. And there's a little principle for you there, you know, because Jesus then takes these five loaves and he gives them to the disciples. And he just says, start handing this stuff out. And you know, a lot of times when God calls you to do something in life, and and you know it's God's will, it's his desire, it's what he wants for you. If you're like me, you want to see all the mountain of provision for that calling right up front, right? Okay, God, if you're calling me to this task, I'm looking out, I see everything that could possibly go wrong and every expense, and I've added it all up. So give me this much money, and then I'll step out to do it. And instead... The disciples just start going with what they have, and Jesus just keeps providing one pass of the basket at a time, one chomp at a time. He does this miracle. I don't know if you've ever fed dozens of people. Sometimes at our church events or like our potlucks, we feed hundreds of people. And you realize it takes a lot of food, especially if everyone's going to get stuffed like this. I mean, just to feed a few hundred people would take tables and tables of food for everyone to be this full. So we're talking about truckloads of food here. We're talking about an incredible amount of food. This could not have been some hoax. There's 5,000 plus witnesses to this miracle. 5,000 family units who show up. There's nowhere to hide the bread. They're outside. And Jesus prays and it just multiplies. Verse 14, let's keep moving. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. These Jewish folks were all looking for a prophet and a Messiah who would come to deliver them from their sins and, again, a little bit caught up in their jelly beans to deliver them from Rome, from these evil political rulers, So Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. What's going on here? Again, a good study Bible will help you. These people were so sick of the Democrats and the Republicans, they were convinced that when Messiah came, he would be the ultimate president. He would be the ultimate king. And so Jesus has this kind of problem during the three years of his earthly ministry. When people would really start to believe in him, they would want to have a revolt or a coup and overthrow the Roman rulers of the area and make Jesus king, literally by force. In fact, of all of Rome's jurisdictions at the time, this was the hot spot. There was always another revolt going on. And so they were a little jittery. And that helps you explain why later Pilate's going to be like, well, okay, you know, he's innocent, but if it keeps you guys from revolting, you can crucify him. So Jesus sees again, they're looking at the lower level need. We want a political ruler. We want free food. And so he escapes up into the mountains to pray. Verses 15 through 23, I have to keep cruising so we can't unpack it all. But Jesus does this cool miracle. The disciples get in a boat, and they cross this lake. They're a few miles out, and uh, this, this lake is like down in a bowl of valleys. And so when the wind is right, the waves really pick up in the lake. And so the disciples are out there. It's a huge storm. Jesus is back praying on the mountain. All of a sudden, he walks out to them on the water. And so the next morning... All these people who were fed their huge free dinner the night before—they say, "Where's Jesus?" Like they were stalking him like the paparazzi. You know, we know he went up to that mountain to pray. Now we went up there, and he's not there. And then they get word, "Oh, Jesus and the disciples are in Capernaum." How did he get over there? You know, we had him—we had him trapped. But so, so they all get in boats and they go over to Capernaum, and that's where we pick up in verse 24. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there. They got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, teacher or rabbi, when did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus cuts right through their question and gets to why he knows they're seeking him. Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed. In other words, not because you really want to know God, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You want more food. You want more jelly beans. Jesus continues Do not work. Do not strive. Do not chase after food that spoils, but work or strive or chase after food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, named for himself, will give to you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal. Of approval. You see the parallel conversation going on? They say, We want more bread. Well, actually, before they say it, he says, I know you're here because you want more bread. They're still thinking about bread. And Jesus says, I'm here. You know what you actually need in your life? Is God's approval. And God has given me his approval. So everyone who believes in me has God's approval. Which means you spend eternity with him, means you're adopted into his family. Well, how many of us today, when we think of God's approval, we think, oh, I must have to do something to get God's approval. And we know from scripture, we know the good news of Jesus' message is that you don't have to do anything to earn God's approval. In fact, you couldn't if you tried to. Jesus already has God's approval. And when you believe in him, you get God's approval for free. That's why, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. You can't work to earn God's approval. Jesus has the Father's approval. He did your work for you on the cross. And when you believe in him, you get salvation for free. Well, we sometimes push against that because it insults our pride. We think, yeah, I I could work my way to God. And that's exactly what these people thought in verse 28. They asked him, you know, Jesus, you're talking about approval, God's approval. What must we do to do the works that God's required? God requires. Jesus answered, the work of God is this. Here's the work you have to do to earn your salvation, okay? Believe. Believe in the one he has sent. Verse 30, so they asked him, well, what sign will you give us so we can see it and believe you? Now, hadn't Jesus already given them a sign the night before? Hadn't they already had some jelly beans? And now they're kind of like, okay, Jesus, oh, oh, cool. We don't have to do anything. We just believe in you. Well, give us some more jelly beans. You know, fill our tummies again, and then we will believe in you. Verse 31, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As, As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, this is a a conversation that would have made sense to Jesus and these folks because they know their history, that the Jewish people had been in a wilderness when they escaped from slavery in Egypt, and they got out there in the wilderness and they say, God, what good was it to obey you? We're starving. And God sends literal bread from heaven, manna. So that's what they're talking about here. It's almost like they're saying, yeah, Jesus, that was cool what you did last night, how you multiplied it, but this time, how about you rain it down from the heavens? That'd be even cooler, Jesus. And then we will believe in you. And we kind of do this too sometimes. We say, you know, okay, Jesus, if you give me that promotion, then I'll believe in you. Give me that commission check or that deal, and then me and you, man, you know, we'll, we'll... give me that boyfriend, give me that baby, give me that house, give me that peace, give me that healing, give me that health, and then, Jesus, then I'll, I'll really believe in you. Verse 32, Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who gave you that bread from heaven. It is my father who gives you. Jesus switches to the present tense. The father is presently giving you the true bread that your souls need. Verse 33, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus is talking about himself. 34, sir, they said, always give us this bread. Jesus answers, verse 35, declares, I am the bread of life. You want bread from heaven? You want bread for your souls? Well, Jesus says, you're looking at him. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still do not believe. There's all sorts of great theological tension in this chapter because Jesus is going to say, you know, you can't believe unless the Father draws you, but then you have to choose, you know, and people love to debate all that stuff, and it's important stuff. But when we get caught up in that, we can miss Jesus' point here. What Jesus is saying is that you have hungers in your soul, and he's the only bread that can fulfill your actual hunger. So you think you know what you want, like Zoe wants jelly beans. He knows what you actually Need. Let's skip forward to verse 47. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Now that makes sense to us because we know Jesus gave his body on the cross for our spiritual lives. But at the time, it was just a little too much for him. But here's what Jesus is saying in in verse 49. He's saying, you know what? I could give you truckload after truckload, a lifetime supply of bread. And your body is still going to die because you're in a sin-stained, broken, fallen world. All the bread that you want for the rest of your life, you're still going to die after 60, 70, 80, 90 years. And so Jesus says, instead, here's what you actually need, eternal life. See, when you die, your body, which scripture calls a tent, it gets buried somewhere, right? Or incinerated. Your soul, your inner you, then goes into eternity to one of only two places. To be with God. Or to not be with God. And Jesus says, you're so consumed with your present appetites that you don't realize what your real need is. Your real need is that in a blink, your life's going to be over and you could have eternal life with me in heaven, but you just got to believe on me. So what would you rather have? Truckloads of bread and a body that's going to die in the next few decades? Or would you rather have eternal life... In a place where there's a tree of life with a glorified body around a gigantic banquet table. You know, Scripture teaches that when, uh, at a future point, all of us who trust in Jesus will be raised to life and given glorified bodies. And this is fun to think about. Jesus kind of shows us his glorified body after he raises from the dead. You know, if you don't like your nose, I'm guessing on your glorified body, you will like your nose. All I know is your glorified body is not affected by sin or the fall at all. So mine won't have migraine headaches. I'm guessing I'll have like normal male-sized biceps, which will be awesome. Okay, and and Jesus says, you know, what's more important? To have all the food you want in a body that's going to die no matter how much you take care of it, or to have eternal life with me in a glorified body? Let's pick up at verse 60. On hearing this, because then Jesus is going to talk more about now, so you got to learn to feed on me. We know what he's talking about. They thought he was talking like cannibalistic. They just get more and more confused. It gets more and more awkward. Verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples, by disciples here, is talking about all these people because they're all following him. That's what the word disciple means. We're grumbling about this. Jesus said to them, does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Jesus kind of says, oh, is that too much for you? Okay, then how about this? What if I unzip the clouds and you see me walk up a staircase and sit down on the throne of heaven with all the angels around me? Would that be enough for you? That's, that's my paraphrase. Okay, of verse 62. Verse 66, from this time, many of his disciples turned back, no longer followed him. And I like to picture it, you know, because here's Jesus and there's these hundreds of people and and they start to move away. And, and when there's lots of people and you hear them talking, you know, there's this kind of groaning noise of all their conversations. And you can almost hear it as they start going away. People saying, oh man, I, I, you know, you can just hear it. And it's over that noise that Jesus turns to the twelve. Andrew, Peter, John, James, Philip, the others, and he says 67 essentially are you going to leave me too you do not want to leave me too do you jesus asks the 12 it's kind of a harsh reality in this text of it's like jesus says there's two options you know either you realize what following me is actually about that you have deeper needs than just your wants or you can go on your way that seems to be what jesus is saying verse 68 simon peter answered him lord to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So Peter does get it. You know, when it comes to getting into heaven, it's not what you do, it's who you know. And there's a lot of things that are that way in life. It's all about who you know. And Jesus essentially says, you can't work your way into eternal life, but if you believe in me, I will give you eternal life. In other words, spiritually, Jesus is almost saying, you are what you eat. Your soul will never be greater than what you put into it. So if you want to fill up your soul with pornography, you have the freedom to do that. And that'll be who you are in your soul. You want to fill up your soul with stuff that's going to rust, get stolen, and have to be insured? You can put that stuff in your soul if you want. You want to fill your soul with the approval of people or of success or achievement? You can put that in your soul. And Jesus says, you think you need bread for your stomachs, but what you need is to eat me. You need me in your soul. The only fulfillment in the universe. But our temporary hungers, our temporary appetites... So often, like a little two-year-old, we just can't see beyond them. We just can't see past them. So I'm going to give you guys three ways as we close that you can know if you're feeding on Jesus as the bread of life, okay? And you need to know, I mean, Jesus looks harsh in this passage, doesn't he? Because the, he, Jesus speaks the truth. We know from John chapter 1 that Jesus is full of grace and truth. Jesus is speaking the truth to these people because he loves them. And today he's speaking the truth to you because he loves you. He says, yeah, those jelly beans that are rotting out your teeth, there's nothing morally evil with a jelly bean. There's nothing morally evil with that car that you want or that promotion that you want or that person that you want or that child you want to have or that home or that retirement account. There's nothing morally evil with it. But when you fill your soul on that, it is a loving parent who says, no, that's not what you need. It's only going to leave you hungry. It's only going to rot your teeth. You need something better. So three ways to know if you're feeding on Jesus as the bread of life. Here's the first one. Are you trusting that he knows your deepest needs better than you do? Are you convinced? Have you predetermined? Okay, I think I need a more challenging job. I think I need a bigger house. I think I need to be healthy. Again, there's nothing wrong with those things, just like there's nothing wrong with jelly beans. But will you trust Jesus when he says, no, I know your needs better than you do? Here's another way to know if Jesus is the bread that you're feeding your soul on. Trusting that Jesus knows the solutions to your deepest needs better than you do. Not only does Jesus know what I actually need more than I do, he also knows how to meet that need more than I do. Jesus looks at people through an eternal lens, seeing where our souls will spend eternity. And we're just not capable of seeing things this way, just the way that my little Zoe, as precious as she is, she's not capable of seeing. that she, If she doesn't learn that she doesn't always get her way in life, it's better for her to learn that lesson. Better for her to eat some nutritious food. She doesn't see that. We don't see the eternal. And that's what faith is. That we trust what Jesus says about the solutions to our hungers. Third, believing in Jesus as the bread of life means looking to Jesus himself as my greatest need in this life. And in the much longer life to come. Believing that he really is the bread of your soul needs. When Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, he's comparing himself to any other sustenance, any other source of strength or provision. Jesus says, they all wear out, but I don't. Remember back at the beginning, we said, think about in the last week, what have you been chasing? What have you been pursuing? What have you been feeding your soul on? success, stuff, pleasure, people, relationships, security. Many of those things are not morally wrong. Many of them are not. But it's when we feed our souls on them that Jesus in love says, no, you're feeding on the wrong thing. You're believing in the wrong thing. I sometimes see this with Christians, and I'm not going to take too long on this, but with vitamins and supplements and organic food, okay? And that stuff's great. We eat some of that stuff when we can afford to, okay? I, I'm not at all disparaging it, just like I wouldn't disparage um, you know, normal prescription medicines, okay? There all that stuff, great. Take whatever you want, okay? I don't judge you on all that stuff, okay? Here's the problem, though, that I see as a shepherd and a pastor. I, I see more Christians putting their hope in, well, if I eat this organic stuff... Or take these vitamins, I'll never die, is almost like what they think. You know, it'll calm all my ills. It will heal me of everything. And as a pastor, I have to come alongside and love and say, hey, those things are fine. And I hope they do make you feel better. But don't forget God's word. We're in a fallen world. Our bodies are going to die no matter what supplements we take. Okay, I mean, I take vitamin B and vitamin D and all sorts of stuff under my tongue all the time. Okay, but I'm still going to die. So the question is, what is your hope in? Are you taking this stuff, putting your hope in it to give you eternal life? I see Christians doing that. Or are you taking this stuff to make your body as healthy as it can be so that you can serve Jesus, knowing that no matter what you do, your body's eventually going to wear out. But that's okay, because you're feeding your soul on the bread of life. And you know where you're going to spend eternity. And you know that you've got a glorified body waiting for you with bigger arms and a better nose. You know, God has this way when I'm preaching on a topic of like putting me through the ringer on it the week before. So, uh, this last week, I learned two bits of information in a row. First, I learned that some writing thing somewhere I had written had won some award for $1,000. And I was like, oh, that's great. Because, you know, growing family and we're in the process of adopting, we could totally use $1,000 right now. Two days later, in the mail, I get a bill. Because see, I had been at my at a, a doctor and he said, hey, you had this weird disease when you were a kid. We should do a stress test on you just to be safe. You have insurance, right? Yeah, I have insurance. Didn't think anything of it. Go run on a treadmill for 30 minutes, right? And I open up the bill. $1,600 for my 30-minute treadmill run. And, uh, you know, so I call the insurance company and I'm like, you know, why do I pay you guys all this money every month? and you guys never cover anything? And there is, you know, I was kind of looking to that $1,000. I was kind of excited that here it was extra and we were, these adoption costs are staggering and we could put it towards that and, and it's gone. Not only is it gone two days later, but even more than it, right? 1600 and, and And Jesus kind of whispers, you know, who's your bread of life? What are you looking to to sustain you? Who are you looking to to provide for you? When Jesus fed or healed people, he met their earthly need in order to prove that he could meet their eternal need. But the people in today's story, they never connected the dots. They never moved from the temporary to the eternal, and so that's the question for you. Jesus does provide for us in this life, and and believing in him does give us an abundant life now, but have you connected the dots That he's not a Disneyland, make your dreams come true, Jesus, because your dreams will rot your teeth. And he has a better plan for you, and he knows what you actually need. Have you made that move? Or like the people in verse 66, will you stop following him because he's not making all your dreams come true? Mel was reading me this article a few weeks ago from a nutritionist talking about people who overeat, you know, and there's lots of reasons, emotional and otherwise. But this nutritionist was saying a lot of times people are overeating because their body actually has a deficiency. They might need magnesium and they're deficient on magnesium or they're deficient on vitamin D or whatever else. And so their body keeps telling them to eat because their body is searching for what it's missing, But the stuff they're eating doesn't have it in it. So they keep eating. And I thought, boy, that's just like us spiritually. When our souls are deficient because we haven't been feeding on the bread of life, we just keep eating. And we get more, and we do more, and we're so busy doing it that we don't even realize the last five things that we thought would fulfill us didn't. (laughs) and we don't have the maturity to realize, then probably the next five things won't either. And we're like a two-year-old searching for more and more jelly beans because the stuff we're putting in doesn't have the nutrients to actually fill our souls. And so Jesus says, I am the bread of life. See, Jesus himself, not my hungers, is my deepest need. Jesus himself is my deepest need. If you only know Jesus as a delivery man to give you what you want, my encouragement today for all of us, get to know the real Jesus. Meet the one who gives you what you actually need. Meet the one who is your actual need. And suddenly, your wants are satisfied, your appetites are appeased in him who is the bread of life. So would you stand and and pray together with me, and let's just pray this over our souls. Jesus, we want you to be our bread of life. As you're standing there with your eyes closed, quick questions for you. Do you believe Jesus knows your needs better than you do? Do you believe Jesus knows the solutions to your needs better than you do? Do you believe he's a loving God who wants And is waiting to meet your needs in ways much better than you imagine. Let's pray that together. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to be the light of the world, to be the resurrection and the life, to be the way and the truth, and also the bread of life. Lord, so many of us are malnourished. And we're overeating on the stuff of this world because our souls are missing the nutrition that's only found in you. So Jesus, right now, any of those things that you've revealed to us as we've spent our time in, in your word, we turn away from those things. Jesus, we choose to look to you as our strength, as our provider, as our sustenance. Thank you for the gift of eternal life that is freely ours when we believe in you. Lord, having received that gift now, we want to follow you every day and we want to learn to feed on you when we need some provision, when we need some strength, when we need some help to look to you, not to the things of this world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.